Lord, thank you for today. Thank you uh, for things that you want to do. Thank you that we can truly stand faultlessly before you because of the work that you have done. Uh, Thank you for this people. Thank you that you have created each one of us uh, individually, uniquely, and you've purposed us for something specific. Thank you for that. Uh, Thank you for your word that speaks to us about who you are and now who we are and what we can do uh, based on what you have done. So thank you for these realities and thank you for the book of John. Thank you for allowing for your servant, John, to to write this for us to benefit from. And as we finish today, um, we we give this this entire gathering to you. Do whatever it is that you want to do uh, for your fame and for your glory. Uh, We love you. Amen. So uh, you are a failure. You are a failure. And I am so excited to be the one to get to tell you that this morning. It's awesome news to wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, ah, we made it, to hear a guy be like, hey, you're a failure. Hey, welcome, welcome. But this is our reality that we're all failures in one way or another because we're trying to meet someone else's expectations, all right? So whose expectations are you trying to meet that you can't meet so therefore you are a failure? So this could be a whole host of people. Here's a few. Uh, maybe your parents. Maybe you feel like a failure in front of your parents, with your parents, because you can't uh, do the things that you think that they want for you to actually do. Maybe it's your boss, that your boss is giving you this job description of things you're supposed to accomplish, and you consistently don't accomplish these things. And so therefore, not only do you feel like a failure, but he or she tells you you're a failure, and you get no bonus check, you get no Christmas wreath or anything else like that. So you feel like a failure at your job. Maybe it's your professor who continuously put Fs, which doesn't stand for fantastic. It stands for failure, okay? And if you've ever seen that F, you're surprised because everyone has always put gold stars on everything you did. How dare you tell me that you're a failure? But you did a horrible job in the test, so therefore you are. One of the hardest groups, though, when we find out that we're a failure around our peers, that shatters us. Or we become very hard and we don't care what anyone thinks about us. But deep down, we, we really do. We do not want for our peers to look at us uh, and think that we are a failure, that we drive a car that we shouldn't drive, that we have clothes that we shouldn't have, or we can't have clothes that we should have, or we live in a place that we shouldn't live. Um, our social media doesn't have enough likes or enough shares or enough follows or whatever. That we are consistently told that we are a failure by, by our peers as well. Or, or maybe if you're like me, the, the hardest person to meet the expectations of is myself. I am my worst critic. If I preach a horrible sermon, you don't need to write to me that week and be like, that sermon was horrible. Trust me, I know that. And I have more reasons as to why it was horrible. You, you're, you're free to write me though. I mean, go ahead. Just know that I, I can outdo you in the horribleness of what happened. The reality is at some level, we're all failures. We all are. And upon failure, we expect certain things. If I fail at something, I expect punishment of some sort. Uh, I expect separation. If I fail someone close to me, I don't expect that they're going to be like, oh man, I'm so glad that you failed me. I'm so glad that you did this thing against me, betrayed me. Come hang out. Let's watch the Patriots game because they're playing tonight at 830 and they're going to beat Denver. I, I don't expect that. I just don't. I expect separation, that they're not going to want to be near me. They're not going to want to be around me. So we expect punishment, we expect separation, and we expect shame. We expect to feel, ah, how did I let that happen? 
and we allow for the, for the failure to actually define us, that we create this new identity for ourselves based on the failure that we participated in. Failure can be devastating. But what about when we fail God? Right? We're just talking about failing humans, failing ourselves. But what happens when we fail God? Now, we believe in God. Church 21, we believe in God. We believe that God has always existed and will never have an end. We believe that there is one God, three persons, yet one God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in this. We believe that God is all-powerful, that God knows all things, that God is present with us right now, just as present, if not more so than you are in your chair. That we believe in this God. We believe in a perfect God that has never done anything wrong and will never do anything wrong. We believe in a God who has perfect expectations, right? You think your boss or your parents gave you a hard job description or life just description? God demands perfection. So what happens when we fail God? And we're gonna encounter Peter this morning. Peter is one of the followers of, of Jesus. And John chapter 21 is about this encounter that Jesus has with this man, Peter. And so let me quickly get you up to speed with, with Peter and how he began to follow Jesus and how he came to known as a failure. So here we go. Luke, another one of the, the accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Luke 5, 4 through 11. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Jesus, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I'm going to read this pretty quickly, all right? Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came, filled the boat so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. And John is a guy writing, John that we're looking at this morning. Uh, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men and women, right? That's written into the text, men and women. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Peter sees the power of Jesus, leaves the fishing industry and wants to follow Jesus. Jesus is like a rabbi who is calling disciples to follow him. And Peter is now going to follow Jesus. John 13 Different encounter. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter was very bold. This is a week before Jesus dies at this point. Okay, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So what we know about Peter so far is he's a follower of Jesus. Jesus is going to make him catch people, not catch people in their lies or catch people as a judge would catch them, but to catch them and rescue them out of the work that Jesus is going to do. What we see in John 13 is that Jesus is saying, but you're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you know me. When things come down to it, when, when things get really difficult, you're going to deny that you even know me. And what we have to see from this is that Jesus is not surprised by Peter's failure. 
So when we look at his failure in just a moment, we need to know that Jesus isn't surprised. He's not saying, what? I had no idea. I thought you were my bro. I thought we were, we were BFFs. I thought we, we were, you know, they don't do this anymore, but that whole thing where you can pick your closest five people on your plan, right? I thought, I thought we were one of those. No. Jesus isn't surprised by Peter's betrayal. And here we have Peter's denial. John 18, 15 through 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, no, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing, warming himself. So Peter is denying Jesus in front of a little girl. Now jump down to verse 25. Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. They said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So this, this final failure was like Peter coming to an end of himself. Man, I told Jesus I'd lay down my life for him, but I won't. But I won't. I don't have it in me to even say, yeah, I know him. What's that to you? I know him. What are you going to do to me? You're going to kill him, but what are you going to do to me? I'm ready for whatever's going to come. No, he denies him. He denies him. Peter is a failure. And so what we're going to see this morning in John 21 is this post-failure encounter of Jesus and Peter. And we had the, the text read for us. So the scene is that Peter and six other guys, the disciples, are, have gone fishing. They've been fishing all night long. Okay, these guys are experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing. I assume that going fishing at night means you're going to catch at least something. But on this night, they haven't caught anything, okay? And Jesus comes along, okay? After Peter leads to this empty catch, Jesus then took the lead and said, hey, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? They do that, and this massive catch comes, and I think there's 153 large fish that were in a net, and the net never broke, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But then Jesus calls them to the shore for breakfast, right? Come, come, eat with me. And in Peter's mind, he's like, man, this is like a failure breakfast, right? I, I, can't, I can't even say I know Jesus. I go out and try and do something. I fail. Jesus tells me, put it on the other side. He succeeds. What good am I? So as, as Peter is going into the shore, I, I'm imagining that, that he's thinking, oh boy, what an exciting breakfast that I get to have with with Jesus, the one that I've failed over and over and over. And Jesus actually goes to work on Simon Peter. He goes to work on this failure. And there are three things that, that Jesus does. Remember, upon failure, we expect punishment, separation, and we expect shame. But Jesus does the opposite of, of this. So he actually restores Peter he restores him, he refocuses him and has him recast 
his net or has a vision recast. And so those are the three things we'll look at in order. So John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This interaction with a failure, what does Jesus do? He restores him. He restores him. There's a, a, a reason why he asked Peter three times, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. So what Jesus is doing is saying, in that moment that you loved your life more than me, in that moment where you wanted to guard your life and keep your life more than you wanted to follow me, I'm here to restore you. So first denial, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Great, let me restore you in that. Second denial, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Great, let me restore you in that. Third denial, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. There's this full restoration that's taking place and it seems annoying to Peter, but that's what grace is like. Grace is annoying to failures because you want to put your head down and feel horrible and say, ah, oh, I'm no good. Jesus would want nothing to do with me. I'm a horrible, despicable human being. Lord, I'm sinful. Leave me alone. And the Lord says, no, I want for you to swim in my love. I want for you to bathe in my grace. I want for you to get to experience the forgiveness. I want to restore you. I don't want to reject you. I want to bring you in. So do you love me? Do you love me? That there is grace. Grace is a gift. Okay, so it is literally Christmas all year long with the Father giving gifts to his children. There's grace for every failure. There really is. And, and this concept is, is hard for our minds to, to get around, but every sin and failure serves as a reminder that God loves us. Do you get that? Every sin and failure is a reminder that God loves us. Like for my wife, like candy or chocolate or flowers or time away is a reminder to her that I love her, right? My presence is a reminder most of the time, I think, that I, that I love her, right? But my sin against her, my failure, that's not how I'm saying, honey, you know I love you. I sinned against you. I, I've been talking poorly about you. I've been gossiping about you. I, I think ill of you. I think these things... She would say, I don't know you love me because of those things. But every sin and failure on our part is a reminder that God loves us. Because this is a good news for us, is that when we were sinners, when we were rebels, when we broke the law of God, God came after us, not to destroy us, but to forgive us, to die in our, in our place to pay a penalty for our rebellion that we couldn't pay on our own. And so when we sin and when we fail, we have this beautiful opportunity to be reminded that Jesus came for that. He came to die for that. And so after we sin, after we fail, we can actually celebrate what God has done for us. 
And it seems so backwards. It seems like after we sin or fail, we should show God why we should be forgiven. But it's the opposite. We can celebrate the fact that, that we are forgiven. We are restored. Failure usually points us to think of how unlovely we are. But with God, failure should point us to see how lovely he is and that he's making us lovely just like him. See, religion doesn't tell us that at all. Religion says do a good enough job and maybe God will accept you. The gospel, the good news of God says that Jesus came to do what you and I couldn't do for ourselves so that we could be accepted, so that we could be loved, not on the basis of our works, but on grace. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Who else is like this? Who else is like this? We sing songs about who else is like our God. There is no one like our God. And it's so true. It's so true. I'm not standing with love and grace, outstretched arms full of it for everyone who fails me. Right? I have issues. I want to withhold love and withhold grace from people often. But God pursues us only with open arms saying, come to me, I want to give this to you. I want for you to be changed by this. I want for you to be restored. And not just like restored, like, okay, yeah, I'll let you in the house, but stay in the mudroom, right? Stay out in the cold, stay in the garage. I'm not letting you into everything. What does Jesus do with Peter? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. What does that mean? I want for you to take care of my people, are you nuts, Jesus? A week ago, I just failed you. A week ago, I was tempted to deny you and I went for it. A week ago, I thought that my survival was so much better than following you and what you had to give. You want me to lead your people? Yes. Yes. I mean, this is the economy of God. This is the foolishness of God. That God would take broken people, rescue them, put his spirit inside of us and then call us before we're perfect to go and tell others about him when we're still struggling with some of these things. This is crazy. When I was, when I was first saved, first met Jesus, uh, I was still doing drugs. I, I told the pastor uh, that I was at the church. I'm like, man, I have all kinds of issues still. And he's like, why don't you come work with our youth group? I'm like, eh, I don't think you want me to come work with your youth group. Oh, no, I think that our, our 12 to 18-year-olds could really benefit. I'm like, I don't, I don't think you're right. I'm 23 and a mess. I don't know what I'm going to tell these, these kids. He's like, I want for you to come and tell them how Jesus has changed you. Just keep telling them that. That was so amazing to me that someone was willing to take that risk on me. And then as I got to read the scriptures, I'm like, oh, that's a type of risk that God takes that he loves to take broken people that don't have it all together to bring them in to actually lead his people. That we have a God that is not embarrassed to call deniers his friends and leaders of his people. I mean, this is nuts. This seems too good to be true. And that's what makes it such great good news. That you could walk in here this morning a denier of Jesus. And he says, ah, this morning is the morning I want to restore you to me. You could walk in here this morning saying, I don't believe that there's a God. 
And this morning is the morning you walk out with this restored relationship with your creator and now your redeemer. You see, past failures don't disqualify you. And so many of us live under that lie. You live under something that you did or something that was done to you and you say, ah, that disqualifies me from ever leading anyone else. That was far too great of a sin. That was far too great of a rebellion. The Lord could never use me. The two apostles that Jesus used in his church, Peter, denier of him, right? A guy that a few chapters ago was cutting off uh, someone's ear in the name of Jesus. I've never cut off anyone's ear, have you? Don't put up your hand if you have. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna protect it. Um, And Paul, formerly known as Saul, formerly known as Christian killer, how does God ever think that's a good idea? I'm gonna take the Christian killer, make, her a fo- make him a follower of me, and then send him to the nations to tell of what a great God I am. Why would that be a good idea? Because it shows how great of a God he actually is. I can take someone vehemently opposed against me, change his heart, and send him to the nations to declare my excellencies. You see, the love that you receive in your darkest moments is the love that you get to give to other people. If you look in the mirror today and you see your religious pedigree and you see the things that you've done and you're like, look at me at 9.50, I'm going to church gathering. And you think of all the people who aren't here and you're like, I'm so much better than those people because they couldn't get up out of bed and make it here, whatever. Um, If if that's what you're pursuing, if that's the pedigree that you're going for, then you're going to forget what you used to be like. You forget the dark moments where the Lord broke into your life where you were a rebel, you were a sinner, you were ungodly, you were an enemy of God. God broke into your life, rescued you, made you his child, and is now calling you to go and declare and demonstrate his good news to everyone. But so often we look in that mirror and we say, wow, I'm such a good person, I'm so much better than these other people, and we live out of that and we forget the dark moments. So we don't have compassion on people, we aren't empathetic. We can't enter in with kindness because we say to people, well, just get it together, get your act together. You can't get your act together unless the Lord got his act together for you. You really can't, he did it all for you. So when we remember our dark moments, when we remember where we came from, what the Lord did to rescue us, then we're ready to minister. And this is what the Lord is doing with Peter in this encounter. Peter is fully restored. And the Lord wants this for you as well. He wants for you to be fully restored to him. He wants for you to hear this morning the gentle, do you love me? Because I love you. The do you love me isn't a a call out to see if Peter loves him or not. What was underneath this do you love me is Jesus saying, I love you. Do you love me, Peter, because I love you? So do you love me? Jesus says, because I love you. Do you need to be restored to Jesus? Do you need to move out from that rock of failure that's crushing you, literally crushing you, causing you to feel inadequate, causing you to feel like the Lord cannot work through you? This morning, the Lord wants to lift that rock off your back and to restore you to relationship with him. The second thing, Uh, is that Jesus refocuses Peter 
So in chapter 21, verse 18 to 22, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So Jesus is telling Peter, you're gonna be crucified. You're gonna be crucified. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and this is John who wrote this book, following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? This is exactly what I would have said. Well, how's he gonna die? For sure. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus refocuses, Peter, follow me. No matter what, whether you experience success or failure, whether you have wealth or poverty, whether you're married or single or widowed, no matter what your circumstance, you follow me. You follow me. And what happens is when we begin to follow Jesus, our our peripheral vision starts acting up. Right? I know that I'm getting really tired when I start seeing things in the corner of my eyes. All right? That's how I know I'm tired. Uh, when I see little floating stars, it's kind of like the underworld and Stranger Things, but I won't go there. Uh, no, but when I do see things in, in my periphery, I'm like, ah, I need, to, I need to take a nap or I need to go to bed. Our peripheral vision is great, though, because we can also see uh, children doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And we go, ah, I caught you. Right? Periphery is amazing. But where it's not good is for following Jesus. Because our periphery picks up things, shiny things, squirrels, right? We pick up all these things on the side of us that distract us. They creep into our following. And Peter is being told by Jesus, I want for you, I want for you to follow me, right? This is where I I stoop down and and grab the two, gently grab the two sides of, of my children's face and focus them. I want for you to listen to me, right? Focus on me. Jesus has just done that with Peter. Follow me, follow me. And what does Peter do immediately? He turns sideways and begins comparing. Is my death gonna be greater than his death? Is is he gonna live longer than me? Is he gonna have a better ministry than I have? We compare our calling. We do this so easily. And when we look at what other people have, so at your work, You're like, man, I work really hard doing all these things. I am like king of data entry. I am king of insurance sales. I am king of the latte. I am queen of all those things too. Uh, Okay, I'm bringing you in, all right? I'm, I'm royalty in all of this. And then some person comes along that like just stopped picking their nose in public. They still do it, right? And they don't seem to be able to do anything right. And somehow they get promoted ahead of you. And then your boss is lame and he's like, man, you're too good of a worker to, pro- to promote you. Like, what does that even mean? Right? I want to keep at this low level so that you can't do anything higher. That's really a nice way of breaking up with me and saying, it's me, it's not you. But when we compare, when we compare our lives to other people's lives, in that moment, what are we robbed from? Joy. Because our hearts are saying, I can't be joyful unless I get what they're getting. Simon Peter, I can't be joyful with going to the cross until I know what this man is going to get. 
I can't be joyful with losing my life unless I know what this person is going to receive. And this happens in all of life, including ministry, that we compare. Oh, I pastor a church of 200. If only I had a, pa- a church of 5,000. And I hear this. Oh, I have a church of thousands of people. If only I had a church of 150. Life would be so much simpler. That we think that joy exists somewhere else. The idiom, grass is greener on the other side. And and instead of us getting to enjoy the peace that God has given to us, we're constantly looking around to see what could be better, what we could grab onto. And the Lord says, focus on me. I want you to focus on me and my calling for you. Jesus wants us satisfied with him and his calling for us. So we can rejoice when that person gets a raise because because we're following Jesus where he wants us to be. We can rejoice when this ministry does well because we're following Jesus where he wants us to be. We can rejoice when someone else is lifted up because we're following Jesus where, where he wants us to be. And when we're lifted up and exalted, we don't have to gloat and boast to everyone else about the thing we received because we're just following Jesus and this is a door that he opened up for us. It's a humble posture. And Jesus wants to refocus us in on that, this humble confidence around the person of Jesus. So what has the Lord called you to? As an individual, what has he called you to? Just take a moment, think about that. Lord, what have you called me to? For me, it, it was a calling and, and it became for, for my family, Jess and I, that, that we were called to plant churches. We were called to make disciples and as those disciples were making more disciples, we would, we would be planting a church and that church would plant other churches. And that's what we're called to. So it's really easy for me to say yes and no to things because I know what I'm called to. And if I'm supposed to go drill oil fields somewhere in the Middle East, like, no, that's never gonna be a part of what I'm called to do unless the Lord changes my calling completely. I know that I'm gonna do this. I say yes and no very easily because I know what the Lord wants from me. What has the Lord called you to? Don't think about other people. Don't think about, ah, but their calling is more significant. It doesn't matter. Significant to who? The only significant one that matters has called you to that thing. Therefore, that thing is significant. I'm so glad that one of the things that is dying out in the church, and maybe you know nothing about this and that's great, but is this celebrity pastor culture that leaders within the church are treated like celebrities. Why? Why? That's just what the Lord has called them to do. Why don't we make the the Christian car salesman a celebrity? Why don't we make the Christian insurance dealer, the Christian nurse, the Christian doctor, why aren't they the celebrities too? That whatever the Lord has called you to is significant because he wants to transform and renew all things through his people. And then what has the Lord called you to as a community? So many of us have an idea of what the Lord wants to do through us as individuals, but we don't have an idea of what the Lord wants to do through us as a community. And we need to think that out more. This is part of what City Groups is for, that City Groups gather together uh, to be on mission together in a very specific way in the city. 
And so we want you for you to be part of a community so that we as a church can live out the calling that God has given to us as the church. But don't compare. As you're responding to the call of God, don't compare to what other people are doing, what other people have. Don't, it'll rob you of joy. And don't stop doing things to figure out what you're supposed to do. There's this brilliant book uh, that I'd never read, but the title is brilliant, um, Just Do Something. All right, it's not Nike slogan. Uh, I think it's written by Kevin DeYoung. Um, so he uses big words. I stay away from those books, right? I stick to nice titles. Um, just do something. Just do something. That we don't stop, go into a closet, go into a room, uh, do like three years of fasting and prayer until the Lord wants to tell us what we're supposed to do. That we know significantly what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. So we keep doing those things until the Lord makes it evidently clear what we're supposed to be doing. So for us, what area needs to be refocused? What area in your life needs to be refocused around Jesus? Is, is it your house? Is it your job? Is it your, your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your degree? Is it the city that you live in? What area needs to be focused around Jesus? Let your plans go. Let your plans go. And allow for the Lord to be the director of everything in your life because he's always going to lead to what is best and we'll see this now. Finally, uh, in 21... And 21, Jordan, I'm gonna need your help to switch this because S5, X9 needs to be picked up. There we go. Um, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And so Jesus invites his failure, Peter, to recast his net. You failed on the left side all night. Now cast it on the right side. And when he does, this massive haul of fish is able to be brought in. Now, this is the second time that Peter's failed as a fisherman, right? Either this was just providence that the Lord was allowing him to fail so that he could show him something, or Peter was a very poor fisherman, don't know. But the catch is massive when Jesus tells him to recast it. When Jesus focuses Peter on the place and time that he's supposed to recast it, Peter succeeds. They succeed and they can barely bring in the amount of fish, and this isn't about fish. This really isn't about fish primarily, though that's just, you know, the cherry on top. This is really about the Lord's sovereignty, the fact that the Lord is in control of everything and catching people, rescuing people. Because this is what Peter was gonna do. Peter was gonna step into these sovereign moments that the Lord has prepared for him to step into. And he was gonna have two of the most significant catches ever. The first comes in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two. Peter, um, the Lord has just ascended back to heaven. The spirit of God descends onto his people, is now filling his people. Significant things are happening. And the whole city of Jerusalem is saying, what is going on? This is crazy. 
And so Peter steps up and, and scared Peter, who was a failure before, now steps up in front of thousands of people, the people who are responsible for killing Jesus. And what does he do? He preaches to them. He speaks about the good news of Jesus. He says, you killed him. You killed Jesus. And what happens on that day? 3,000 people all at once are added to the church. They went from being this little gathering to taking over the entire theater in one day. That's a significant catch. Those are Jewish people, people of God, who were taught about their Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for to come, and that it was Jesus. The second significant catch is what you and I, most of us, should be really thankful for. It was for the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people that in Acts 10, Peter receives this vision. And in this vision, strange things are happening. He's supposed to eat these strange animals that he's never been allowed to eat before. And really it's signifying that this good news of who Jesus is, isn't just for the Jewish people, it's for the world. And Peter is supposed to go and tell this guy, Cornelius and his whole household who are not Jewish people about Jesus and how that's good news. And so now you have the Jewish people and you have the non-Jewish people who are becoming followers of Jesus. These two crazy catches that the Lord led Peter to do. Now he's seeing success in. The, this casting, recasting of the net is really about people who are lost, people who don't yet know Jesus as their rescuer and as their king. And so this is where it becomes about us, that Jesus is speaking to us through this text as well. How have you been casting the Lord calls his people ambassadors of reconciliation. Do you know what ambassadors do? They go to other countries in the name of a king, a queen, a sovereign, a royalty, a country, and they bring a message. And we've been sent by our great king. We've been sent into the world, into the opposition, into uh, enemy waters, which we used to swim in. And we've been sent with this message of restora restoration and reconciliation, that there's this great God that wants to make peace with you, that wants to bring you into his family, that wants to adopt you, that wants to shower you with love and grace. How have you been casting? And some of you will say, never. I never cast. I never throw the net of the good news into any water. And never do. I had this dream last night, and it's a strange dream. Um, we have this little betta fish, right? Very tiny. Somehow in my dream, the betta fish grew. And, um, and I was cleaning the tank. And so I'm thinking this is a, a dream, or the bowl, actually. It's not hard work. I just never clean it. Uh, the fish has almost died twice now because I have neglected to clean the bowl. Anyway, I, I was cleaning it. So that's a miracle in and of itself. I'm cleaning the bowl. And, uh, and the fish looks at me and it's big. And I'm like, what is this little dude doing? His name's Ninja. Okay. And so Ninja jumps up out of the bowl into my armpit. I don't know what he was doing in my armpit, but like I couldn't find him. So apparently like there's a portal in my armpit or something for a fish. Um, but then I was talking to my wife and I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. That that sometimes we, when we never cast out our net, sometimes the Lord allows for fish to jump into our armpits. 
Sometimes the Lord allows for someone to be like, I have all these questions about Jesus. You're like, what? You know, you're like, Lord, give me a sign if I'm supposed to talk to someone about you today. And the person's like, man, I wish someone would talk to me about Jesus. And you're like, Lord, have them call out the color blue. And they're like, blue. Like, Lord, one more thing. <laughs> Lord, if they die, I will talk to them, right? I will really do it, right? But sometimes when we refuse to cast out our nets, the Lord does it for us. Remember, remember Jonah? Jonah says, I refuse to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Spain, Tarshish. I'll go anywhere but Nineveh. And the Lord eats him up with a fish, brings him, vomits him out on land, and basically forces him to go. And like the greatest revival that has ever taken place took place in Nineveh. But sometimes when we say, no, I never cast my nets, the Lord still allows for us to have the opportunity to minister to other people. But sometimes... Um, no, never mind that. Some of us are always doing this. We're always talking about Jesus. We're always sharing about the good news. This is something that, that we can't stop. We love doing it. But it's hard work. It's very hard work to declare and demonstrate all the time that Jesus is the one that the city's looking for when the city is clearly not looking for him. Right, go ahead on your way home today, do a survey asking people, are you looking for Jesus? If you find one person that says, yes, I will be amazed. There'll be lots of people that say you're a nut job or the equivalent in French, but very few will say, yes, I'm looking for him. And some of us have been casting for so long that we're just ready to give up because we don't believe anymore that the Lord's really gonna rescue people. Oh, he might rescue kids who grow up in a Christian family, Oh, he might rescue people again who have strayed away from the church for a time, but he can't rescue people who are hardcore against him. He can't rescue people who would want nothing to do with God or the church. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You just don't believe that he can do it. And I love the story of, of Mark, my buddy Mark, Mark Pilon. He's a pastor in Magog, planted a Church 21 church in Sherbrooke, a second one in Magog. And when they started in Sherbrooke, he said, I don't believe that God saves people. I've never seen it done. And, and he grew up in the church, 30 years old when he started. And he says, I don't believe that God saves people. I've seen less than a handful saved. And all of them have been from within the church. But in obedience, he started this church. They did the hard work of, of a core group. And the church in Sherbrooke has seen over 250 people baptized over the past six and a half years, most of them coming from unchurched backgrounds. 250 new people in the kingdom when Mark was like, I, I don't believe that God even does that here. But I'm gonna cast my net there anyway because that's what God told me to do. And now there's this massive thing that's taking place in Sherbrooke and in Magog and in Quebec because of that. So some of you are ready to give up. Some of you believe that people can't be saved anymore. Some of us are saying, we're not gonna cast anymore or I'm gonna continue never casting. But have you ever stopped and asked Jesus, where do you want for me to cast? Where do you want for me to cast my nets? 
Where do you want for me to cast my net? And this is a question that's been on my mind all week. Lord, where do you want for us to cast our net so that we would see lots of people come to know you? And maybe you're just like Mark was, saying, I don't, I don't believe that people can meet Jesus, but I'll cast my net there. Or Lord, you're gonna have to do all of the work. I think this morning is a morning where we stop. And we stop and we ask, Lord, where do you want for me to cast my net? And if you have been casting your net for you so that you can feel like, oh, I'm doing a missional thing, I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing all the good things so no one can accuse me of anything, maybe this morning is a morning where you say, I'm gonna stop casting the net for me. And Jesus, I wanna get a vision of you that's so big, that you are so beautiful, so wonderful, so amazing that I would begin casting my net out of my, my love and my worship and my honor of you. What stops us from casting our net? Fear? Fear of the unknown? Fear of rejection? Fear of opposition? Fear stops us from casting our net. Failure? What if I fail? Have you been listening? Do you know what Jesus does with failures? He restores them, refocuses them, and says, now cast your net again. You don't have to worry about failing. Peter cuts off a guy's ear. We didn't look at that at all because I didn't want to have to do that, right? Peter cuts off a guy's ear and what does Jesus do? Jesus bends down, picks up the ear and puts it back on. This guy's name was Malchus. What do you think Malchus thought of Jesus after that day? This guy, Jesus, is freaking amazing, right? Took my, my pulsing cut off ear and puts it back on. How did he get to see Jesus was amazing? Through Peter's failure, through Peter's mistake. You don't have to be afraid of your failure. There's no failure that you can do that can outmatch the sovereignty and grace of God. So there's so much freedom for you now. Don't go cut people's ear off, but you get what I'm saying, right? You're free. You're free. What stops us? Self. Self-preservation. What stops us? Not loving people. Not loving people. You would say, I love my comfort so much. I love myself so much that I don't want to put myself out there because of what I could lose. But friends, you have everything in Jesus. You have nothing to lose. There's only resurrection possibility of what could take place through casting the nets. So what stops us? What stops you? What stops you? This morning, I want for us to pray about that. What stops me? See, because the call is for us to fish in enemy waters, a place that we once swam. The call is for us to go back to the world opposition to God and say, let me tell you about the God who rescued me out of this place, not because of how good I am, but because of how good he is. And this is for you as well, because the Lord wants to rescue many. And you keep saying in your heart, but I'm a failure. And I wanna say this, that the Lord will only use failures. If you're here today and you say, I'm a self-made success, you have a failure to go. Because the Lord can only use failures. He will only use failures. That's the only way that he is seen as preeminent and the one that we are to be dependent upon for all things. 
that it takes a failure to be able to minister correctly. Now, I'm gonna invite the band uh, to come up here uh, and we're gonna do things differently uh, this morning. Um, we're gonna do a, um, a time of response. Uh, normally, we have communion that's set up for this time, but that's not how we're gonna respond uh, this morning. Communion is, is a remembrance of Jesus' body uh, broken. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it's his body um, a symbol of his body being broken, uh, the, the blood being a symbol of, or the, the blood, the wine being a symbol of his blood shed for us. And so it's a symbol that we often take, and we're not gonna do that this morning because I want for us to do something different during our time. And we've never done this, so this is very new uh, for us, and this is going to be a bit uncomfortable, but I don't care. Um, I don't usually come up here either, so this is uncomfortable for me. I prefer not seeing you. I prefer the blinding lights, not the blinding eyeballs. Um, so this is how I want for us to respond this morning. I want, for, I want, first of all, to invite you out of your comfort, all right? Uh, we're gonna ask you to, I'm gonna ask you to do some things. You're like, I don't feel comfortable with that. That's okay, great. I don't always feel comfortable speaking in front of all of you. Now, like, let's do the big awkward hug and we're in together, okay? I want to invite you out of your comfort and into the Lord's comfort. Because I think that the three things that we talked about this morning the restoration, the refocusing, and the recasting is something that the Lord wants to do with us. So are you here this morning and you've never met Jesus before? This morning is when you need to be caught. You need to be the one that's caught into the net and pulled in to the boat of Jesus. And that would be really good if that's what the Lord would do. That would be amazing. Jesus came and lived a life for you that you couldn't live. He died for you and he's alive and he's with us. He's more real with us than I am right here in front of you. And so he wants to catch you. This is good news. Do you need to be restored to him? Have you been walking with that, with that boulder of failure and it's devastating you and the Lord needs to say, that's mine. He'll palm it, he'll take it from you and allow for you to walk upright again? Do you need to be restored to him? Because he wants to do that. Do you need to be refocused in a specific area of your life? Lord, I've made work an idol. I've made my spouse an idol. I've made my kids an idol. I've made money an idol. I have worshiped so many things, and this morning, I need to be refocused around you. Well, then this is for you this morning. And the last one is that I need to cast my net in new ways or cast my net in the first place. Lord, I've been refusing to, to respond to you in this way. I've been refusing to tell others about you for X, Y, Z. But this morning, I want for you to do a new work in me. Spirit, I want for you to change me in this area. I want for you to release me of what I've been holding on to. And so I, there's real power available for you it's not a power I have to yell about or get all excited about. There's real power available for you in the spirit of God. And you say, but I'm all, already a follower of Jesus. Uh, theologically, the spirit dwells within me. Yes, true. But at times the spirit loves to refresh you and give you a new power and to give you a, a new, you know, we use this word anointing, which is strange because we're not anointed often, but there's this biblical picture in the Bible of someone being anointed being seen. 
And the Spirit sometimes wants to anoint us in a new way with, with new gifts and new power to be able to go out and demonstrate and declare in a new way. And so this is the invitation for us this morning. It's to ask the Spirit, Spirit, what would you want for me to respond to you in this refocusing, restoring, or recasting? And I want to respond to you. And this morning as I was preparing, uh, very strange, we, again, we don't do this in, in our church, but the Spirit is saying, just leave this spot up in the front open and allow for people to respond by coming down, kneeling, and praying. And there'll be people who would love to come and pray with you if you want that. If you want to grab me, I'll be right here. Come and pray with me. Fine. You're like, this is so strange. It's so weird. I don't care. It's not about what anyone else in this theater thinks. It's about the Lord saying, I want for you to respond to me, respond in this way, and to come down and, and, and to have this, this interaction so that you don't leave here the same. So you leave here restored, refocused with a vision to recast wherever it is that he wants for you to recast. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll leave this, this open. Parents, if you're saying, I need this whole time. I've already talked to the kids' ministry workers. You can leave your kids there. They're gonna be cared for. They'll be taken care of. But I think this is a time where the Spirit wants for us to respond to him. And it's fine if we overflow into the stairs. It's fine if all of us come down. Don't care. But I think it's important that we're asking, Spirit, how do you want for me to respond? So let me pray. Spirit of God, I, I wanna ask that you would help for all fear of man, even the idea of coming down in front of people. What are people gonna think? They're gonna think I'm weak. Ah, oh, they're gonna think that I'm, I'm really strong or I'm the one that's willing to make this. Remove those thoughts from our minds. Spirit of God, would you focus our, our hearts and our eyes onto King Jesus who did the unthinkable for us in coming to rescue us and being present here. Spirit of God, you love to minister Jesus to us. And so we need you for that. We're hungry for that. I'm hungry for you. Give new gifts to people this morning. Give gifts of knowledge. Give people gifts of, of, of prophecy. Give people gifts of tongues. Give people whatever gifts they need to be able to go and, and cast their nets again that their hearts and minds could be refocused on you and they could be here that I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? So Holy Spirit, would you lead us during this time? We're not trying to manipulate anything. Just believe that you want to lead us and that you are the one that's going to make Jesus famous in our presence. So we love you. We need you for everything. Amen.